13. And please do that, have that open in front of you as we continue our Sunday evening series here in the final letter of Paul's to Timothy. Let me ask you this as we begin. I wonder if you as a Christian ever just feel weak. As the world around us seems to race ahead and trample over itself and march further and further away from the biblical values we know, we're often left to question, how can we stand firm? How can we push on and how can we be strong? Well, the world would tell you in those moments of weakness and uncertainty to just look inside, just be true to yourself, be the best you, overcome your problems. It's that you're the master of your fate, you're the captain of your soul. Well, this evening, I hope we're going to see Paul's alternative answer to that question. You see, Ephesus, where young Timothy was stationed, as was seen over the past couple of weeks, Ephesus was a place and a culture where strength and power were marked by overcoming your opponents, whether that was fighting, physical strength, or in philosophy and debate. And there was pressure as well, wasn't there, from within the church for Timothy? Last week we saw the problem of being ashamed of the gospel and being ashamed of Paul's chains, people deserting the gospel. And we'll see more next week of the problems in the church that were spreading like gangrene, as Paul says. So no doubt in that pressure cooker of Ephesus, Timothy was feeling overwhelmed. He was feeling weak, probably feeling very small with a very big task ahead. And so now, just as Paul is about to launch into the second half of the letter, it's the more practical section of the letter, just as he's about to launch into that, he calls Timothy to a countercultural strength. And as we'll see this evening, it's a strength actually marked by suffering, obedience, and hard work. It's a strength not sourced from within the self, but in the all-sufficient grace of Christ. It's a strength sourced from Jesus, and it's a strength that looks like Jesus. And so this evening, my prayer is that we will see that the strength to live a faithful Christian life in the midst of opposition and suffering is found in the grace that is in Christ. So just to keep us on track, we'll divide the passage up as follows. Firstly, in verse 1, you see a call to strength. Secondly, in verse 2, you'll see the task to be strengthened for. Then we'll see three illustrations of strength in verses 3 to 7. And finally, three motivations to strength in verses 8 to 13. So if you look at the passage with me, verse 1, Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this is like the headline of the passage here, and the rest of the passage is going to expand on that. So take note. You then, Paul begins, which could possibly be better translated as but you, 
And it's a phrase that's actually repeated multiple times throughout this little letter. It's a countercultural phrase. See, Paul's just been talking. Do you remember Andrew's sermon last week? He's been talking about those who had deserted him. We heard of Phygelus and Hermogenes and all the Asians who had deserted Paul, those ashamed of Paul's chains and the gospel. And into that, Paul says, they have deserted, but you, but you, Timothy, stand firm, be strong. So it's a countercultural call for Timothy and us to be different here. Paul continues, but you, my child. And we see once again, as was seen throughout this letter, Paul's fatherly affection to his child in the faith, Timothy. My child. You can feel the emotion and weightiness as Paul writes some of his last words to Timothy, his child. And Paul calls Timothy, do you see, to be strengthened. Or if you have an NIV, it might say, be strong. Weak, young, timid Timothy in the big bad world of Ephesus, be strong. Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. If he had just stopped at just be strong, as John Stott puts it, he might as well have told a snail to be quick as to tell a man as timid as Timothy to be strong. No, he doesn't stop there. If you keep reading, Timothy's not to just try and muster up strength within, search for it inside, or even he's not supposed to just man up or be his authentic self. <laughs> no, Timothy. And by extension, as we'll see in just a moment, all Christians are to find our strength our resources for ministry, our resources for faithful Christian living in one place. And where is that? Look at verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. The grace that is in Christ is the source of strength for faithful Christian living. We saw last week when Andrew spoke to us in chapter 1, verse 9, that we are saved by grace. Our salvation is free. It's an unearned, undeserved gift. Amen. We are saved by grace. And here in the church, that's a phrase we often throw around quite a bit. But take note, because here we see that we're also strengthened by grace to endure. We're sustained by grace as well. God in Christ graciously empowers and enable us to continue. So we don't just get saved by grace and then move on. That was the Galatian problem, wasn't it? Remember Steve's sermons in Galatians? They were saved by faith, but they were trying to continue by their own strength. No, as Christians, we never graduate from grace. So don't try to live trusting in any other source of strength. Unearned, undeserved, Free grace is what sustains us and strengthens us. We were just singing it just there now. This is the grace that will see us welcomed home to walk beside our Savior. And how does Paul, if you just flick to the end of Second Timothy, how does Paul finish the letter just to show that this carries on? The last weighty words that he will ever write to his child in the faith, he says, grace be with you. So Paul calls Timothy and us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. 
But what for, you might ask? Well, in verse 2, we see the task that Timothy is called to. Look at verse 2 with me. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this is Paul's public gospel ministry, and what's Timothy to do with it? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, all throughout Second Timothy, we have seen this idea of Paul passing on the gospel baton to Timothy. He's been told already to guard the good deposit, to guard the gospel, to steward the gospel, to protect its truth and integrity. And we now see that Timothy is not to keep that to himself. The gospel baton is not to finish with Timothy. We imagine the four by 100 meter relay. I always will remember London 2012 and the Jamaican team world record. And can you imagine when Johan Blake coming around that last corner, if rather than pass on the baton to Usain Bolt, had just held on to it for himself and tried to finish the race for himself, it would be crazy. So Paul is passing the baton to Timothy and it's not to stop there. Timothy is tasked with entrusting the gospel to faithful, trustworthy men who will then be able to pass it on to the next generation. And this is the relay race of church history. It's what carries on even today. I know some of you are greatly interested in family histories and tracing family histories. This is our church family history. The gospel passed down through the ages. It's Jesus building his church and using faithful Christians like Timothy to fulfill the Great Commission. And Timothy was going to need strengthening for that task. Well, what, what about us? We too need to be strengthened, and need to be actively engaged in raising up teachers and leaders to continue this task. As much as we all love Steve and Simon, they won't be here forever. And just as we are actively planning and investing in building a church building for years and generations to come, how much more must we be investing in passing on the gospel to generations to come? We need to be raising up new leaders and new teachers even here in Great Vic and beyond. So how are we collectively and individually supporting this? I wonder, could you write a letter of encouragement to one of our Bible college students, to Patty or Nicola? Write a letter of encouragement to Shane over in Portugal. I wonder, could you mentor a younger person in the church? Or maybe you could get involved in Sunday school and begin to pass on the gospel to that new generation coming through here. So Great Vic, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ for the stewarding and passing on of the gospel. And equally, whilst this church building project was Timothy's particular task in Ephesus, whatever your calling is, as you seek to live a faithful Christian life, let me encourage you to find your strength in the free grace of Christ. Don't try to live in your own strength. Don't rely on your money, your job, your health, your reputation. They'll all fail. Find your strength in the grace of God.
you know, when preaching this passage, there's a Scottish minister called Eric Alexander, and he said this, whatever God calls you to be, whatever God calls you to do, in whatever generation he calls you to be and do it in, he will provide you with precisely the grace and strength you need. Or if he's not old enough for you, John Calvin said this, what God demands from us by his word, he likewise bestows by his spirit. What God demands from us by his word, he bestows by his spirit. So you might be a student trying to balance studying and friends and sharing Christ in this changing culture. You might be a mum with no sleep once again just trying to get through the day. You might be called to cross-cultural missions or it might be to a humble life of seemingly unnoticed service in the church. Whatever way you're faithfully seeking to live for Jesus, find your strength in his grace. So we've seen the call, we've seen the task, and you say, well, that's all well and good. I agree with all that, but what does that mean for me tomorrow in work? What does that mean as I await test results from the hospital? What does being strengthened by the grace that's in Christ actually look like? And Paul, like any good preacher, doesn't leave us hanging here. He gets out his paintbrush for our minds, and he gives us three pictures of what this strength actually will look like for Christians. If you look to verses 3 to 7, we're going to see three illustrations of this strength. We'll see a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Look at verses 3 to 4 firstly, and we'll see the soldier. Paul says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I wonder, can you picture a Roman soldier? Well, Paul didn't have to imagine one. He was in prison, being guarded by Roman soldiers. And he says the strong Christian, strengthened by grace, looks like a soldier. But if you look at the text, this is certainly not a call to arms. It's a call to suffer. Do you see that? Last week we saw in chapter 1, Paul telling Timothy to share in suffering. And it's a theme throughout this letter. Just as the soldier expects hardship in war, so too as Christians we should expect trial and opposition and suffering. Jesus told us over and over again, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16. But if we keep reading, the soldier teaches us more. For this soldier is not to get entangled in civilian pursuits. He has a single-minded devotion. And likewise, the Christian, strengthened by grace, is not to get distracted by the things of this world. It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? By all sorts of things, good and bad. Don't get distracted, says Paul. Keep the main thing the main thing. And why does this soldier not get entangled? If you look again, it's because he seeks first 
to please his master? Do we seek to please our master above all else? Ask yourself, whose pleasure and approval am I really seeking? Is it my own? Is it the world's? Or is it Jesus? Our aim should be God's glory. Our aim should be the life that results in the well done, good and faithful servant. So image number one, strength in the Christian life looks like a soldier suffering with a single-minded devotion aiming to glorify God. And we have a second picture then. Look at verse five. Picture an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul often uses athletic and running imagery, doesn't he? But here, if you look specifically, the athlete is the one that competes according to the rules. It's a picture of obedience, of self-control, of discipline. And then the crown, the medal comes afterwards. So we get in our minds this illustration of a life for the Christian that out of love for Christ does what he says, follows the rules. Like Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the Christian strengthened by grace competes like an athlete by living with obedience. Then picture number three, the third one. Verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I know some of you are from farming backgrounds. Some of you want nothing to do with farmers a lot of the time. But one thing we can agree on is that farmers are hardworking. It's hard and glamorous work. Early mornings, no holidays, and significant challenges on the way to a crop or to the market. And here Paul uses this image to describe the faithful Christian life as hard, unglamorous work in the strength of Jesus' grace. So the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And notice that in all three of these pictures, we see a strength displayed that's very, very different to what the world sees as strength. The same in first century Ephesus uh, for Timothy and for us reading now. Christians are called to a humble strength, a firmness in suffering, single-minded devotion, obedience, hard, unglamorous work before our reward, endurance now, glory later, the cross before the crown. And this is the counter-cultural, cross-shaped grace, strength that Paul is calling Timothy to. Suffering before the prize. That's what it looks like to be strong in grace. Enduring and facing what we'll face like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And then look at verse 7 quickly. It's almost as if Paul just says, just pause and linger here for a second. I don't want you to miss this, Timothy. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He says, think, ponder, meditate. Think about what I've just said, Timothy. Really picture these illustrations. Apply them to your current situation, and God will give you understanding. 
Think what it will look like to be strengthened by grace to face the opposition inside and outside the church. And so we too must think. Think over what it means to live faithfully where we're called to be. Meditate on the words here. And I also think more widely in all of Scripture. And in that thinking, God will give us understanding as we rely on his grace for strength. So think and God will give us understanding in everything. So we've seen the call to strength, the task to be strengthened for, these three illustrations of strength. And now Paul moves Timothy's eyes to three motivating examples of this strength. Look with me at verses 8 to 13. We'll see Paul call Timothy and us to look to Jesus. Look to me, Paul. And look to your own future, Timothy. Verse 8, firstly, starts like this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The first place Paul calls Timothy to look for both example and motivation is Jesus. Timothy's to look to Jesus as an example of this kind of life. You want to see one that suffered and persevered perfectly, the fullest expression of this strength we've been talking about, one who endured while shamed and abandoned by those around him. We could say the perfect soldier, athlete, and farmer we've been talking about. We'll look to Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. And Paul picks just a snippet of what he calls here his gospel two aspects of who Jesus is. He's risen from the dead, which signifies his deity. Jesus is fully God. He has overcome the grave. And he's the offspring of David, which shows his humanity. He's fully man. He's the promised Davidic Messiah King. And this God-man Jesus perfectly suffered the person most strengthened by God who ever walked on this earth suffered most. And the Christian strengthened by Jesus looks like Jesus more and more. The pattern of Christian living Paul is showing here is cross-shaped. And it's not just as an example that Paul calls Timothy to remember Christ. Because I think even in the very action of remembering Christ, in looking to Jesus, in beholding him, that action itself is transformative. It is strengthening, to use the language here. It's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are shaped as we look to Christ. We're strengthened as we look to Christ. So remember Christ in opposition, in suffering, in all of life. Look to Jesus as your example and motivation. As we sang this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. One of my heroes in the faith is Robert Murray McShane. And he once famously wrote a letter to a friend in which he said, for every look at yourself, 
Take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. So Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. But how do we actually do that? Well, read the word and see Jesus in it on every page. Day to day, as you face whatever you'll face, think about Jesus. Think about who he is and what he's done. When you doubt, when you're anxious, remember Jesus. So motivation number one to this grace source strength is to look to Jesus. And on to number two, if you look at verses nine to 10, Paul says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul now calls Timothy and us to look at his own example of strength in the grace of Christ. Paul is by no means perfect. He's told us that before. But by the grace of God, he is enduring. Paul will tell us in chapter four of this passage that he has fought the good fight like our soldier. He's run the race like our athlete and he's kept the faith. Even in his imprisonment now, he knows that the gospel and God's word will never be bound. The gates of hell will never prevail against Jesus building his church. And so he endures everything for the sake of the elect. And so do you see in Paul a cross-shaped pattern of suffering? This is a beautiful example of God's strengthening and sustaining grace. And I do think it's a strengthening and motivating thing for us to look at the lives of other believers, imperfect but faithful Christians like Paul who have endured and gone before. So learn from other Christians, even learn from church history. You know, one of the greatest blessings as a young person being in Great Vic is the absolute treasury of stories of God's faithfulness in the lives of some of the older members here. It's a strengthening, motivating thing to hear stories of God's faithfulness and sustaining grace over the years. So Paul says, look to me, this is the pattern of Christian living, suffering now, glory later, a life like Christ's, a life like a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. And finally then, look at verses 11 to 13, where Paul calls Timothy and us to look at the outcome of our own lives and the implication of the future. And he uses a trustworthy saying. Do you see that, verse 11? He says, the saying is trustworthy. And this doesn't mean that everything else he has said is untrustworthy, and he's just picking some trustworthy bits now. No, it means that this is likely a piece of liturgy or a hymn or something that would have been probably recited in the early church at the time. It would have been known to Timothy and others. And Paul's saying, yep, you can trust this. It's a summary of Christian belief. And this one is a faithful saying about a faithful God. You've heard the phrase, a game of two halves. Well, I think this is a hymn of two halves two sides of a coin. Both halves of this are centered on the same faithful, unchanging God, 
but the outcomes of the lives described are vastly different. The first half, we'll see, shows the outcome of a faithful life united to Christ, strengthened by his grace to endure. And in the second half, the tone changes to a warning for those who are faithless. So look at the first half in verse 11. Paul says, if we have died with him, which might be better translated as since we have died with him. If you're a Christian, this has happened. You have died with him. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. And this is a summary of much of what Paul's written elsewhere in other letters, like Romans 6, for example, that in union with Christ, united to him, we have been crucified with him. We have died with him. And then we have raised with him and therefore live with him even now. It's a marvelous, emboldening truth, encouraging Timothy to persevere. You feel alone and small, Timothy, in Ephesus? Will you live with Jesus? You're united to him. You live with him now and forever. And he continues with this encouragement. If we endure, we will also reign with him. See, strengthened by that grace that's in Christ, Christians endure to the very end, and the crown awaits. We see the same pattern once again, don't we? Suffering, endurance now, and glory later. As Revelation 21 puts it, it's the one who conquers who will have this heritage. Christians who endure, strengthened by grace, will reign with Jesus forever. So this first half of the hymn is full of encouragement. It urges Timothy and us to look forwards, look to the future. In your suffering now, don't look inwards, look forwards. Be strong and steadfast now because of what is to come. Your reward is great. You walk with Christ and you will reign with him forever, Timothy and us. But the second half, if you look, the tone changes to the negative side of the same coin. We see a different future outcome in light of the same faithful God. Look at it with me. If we deny him, he also will deny us. It's straight from what Jesus taught. Whoever denies me before men I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven, Matthew 10. Those who continue to deny Jesus and disown him, those who continue to refuse his grace in this life, those who do not show by their beliefs or their life any evidence of salvation will be denied, denied eternity with Christ. This is a warning to Timothy. Don't deny, don't forsake the gospel, Timothy. And I think we need to feel this warning too. And it continues. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful and unchanging, and that's what all of this hinges on. He is faithful to his promises, and most of all, He's faithful to himself. 
He's faithful to who he is. And these verses are hard. People have interpreted them a number of different ways through the years. But I think in the context, the best way to understand them is to read these as a warning to those who are faithless, to those who prove themselves outside of Christ, to those people God will show he is faithful to his character. He cannot deny himself, and that leads to punishment for sin. If you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, sorry, or even if you claim to be a Christian, but with no evidence whatsoever of faith, our faithful and unchanging God who cannot deny himself will punish sin. He is just and holy and righteous. And this is a warning, I think, to the faithless. This is not referring to momentary lapses that we all have. We all continue to fight sin on this road. But the faithless here are those who continue to refuse God's grace. But remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy. He's sure that Timothy, his child in the faith, will endure. Do you remember Simon's sermon from a few weeks ago? He's sure that his faith is sincere, chapter 1, verse 5. And yet, he still uses this warning as a means to ensure that Timothy endures. Do you see? I know you will endure, Timothy, but here's what happens if you don't. So stay well away from that path. Warning passages like this one are in our Bibles as a means that God uses to keep us on the path of life. They're not to shake our assurance. They're not to beat us up. But when we feel the weight of that warning, we're motivated to endure. So heed the warning. But find your strength to endure where? In the grace of Christ. So this hymn of two halves, both grounded on the faithfulness of God, encourages us to look to our own futures, the outcomes of our life, to motivate us for endurance today. So three motivating examples to endure in the strength found in Christ. Look to Jesus, look to other Christians, and look to your own future. So great Vic, when we feel weak, small, oppressed, be strong. As you face suffering, whatever that looks like in your life, be strong. If you face temptation, be strong. Whatever oppression from society increasingly looks like for us, be strong, but not in your own strength, like the world would tell us to, but standing in the free unmerited, sustaining grace of Christ. Be strengthened to stand in the single-minded devotion of a soldier, the disciplined obedience of an athlete, and the unglamorous hard work of our farmer. Be strengthened in that cruciform pattern, that cross-shaped pattern of endurance now and glory later. 
and be motivated as you look to Jesus, look to other Christians' lives, and look to your own future. And if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to this grace, let me encourage you to come and find the grace of Christ. Come and find the free gift of salvation. Come and find life, life with Jesus now and forever. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He will forgive you. And he's also faithful and just as he punishes sin. So feel the weight of the warning, but come, come to Jesus and find the free gift of salvation. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we do praise you for you are worthy of all praise. You are faithful, you're unchanging, you're a totally righteous and holy God. We thank you that we're saved by your grace in Christ and we thank you for the sustaining grace that we find for each day in Jesus. We do confess and we're sorry for when we deny that grace and try to walk in our own strength. Father, may we as a church be more and more strengthened by the grace that's in Christ. And as we are strengthened, may our lives look more and more like Jesus wherever you've called us. And Father, I ask now, if any do not know that grace here tonight, if any don't know Christ, would you, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself even now? It's for your glory, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we finish tonight, before we have some fellowship over tea and coffee together, we're going to sing one more time. So let's encourage one another in song as we worship God with, O Church Arise. So let's stand as the musicians begin.
Now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.